You're listening to The Miraculous, a podcast by Gary Hewins that will give you a godly infusion of encouragement every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. All right, my friends, here we go. Healing infusion number 21, based on John chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. Sit back, relax, listen. To this narrative, you've heard it before, but listen as though you're listening for the very first time. This passage is chock full of good insights for us, those of us who need to be healed, to receive, and those of us who need to help others in a healing process. It goes like this, uh, chapter 18 of John, verse 1, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. He and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He said, I am he, said Jesus. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. And then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for all the people. All right, what mean at this? Let me paint a picture for you. Maybe you've not been to Israel. Maybe one day you, you will. I hope you will. But you're standing on the Mount of Olives, and you're overlooking the skyline of Jerusalem, and you're standing up on a hill, and in between you and the skyline of Jerusalem is a valley called the Kidron Valley, and within the Kidron Valley is the Brook Kidron. This, this is the brook, the the flowing water that would come and be filled with the blood of lambs during times of sacrifice. You can only imagine how steep, dark, bloody red that brook was at the time of Passover. Tens of thousands of lambs being sacrificed on behalf of families, and the blood is running through this brook down toward the Judean desert. Jesus steps over this brook as he, in his last week of his life, ultimately becomes the Lamb of God whose blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin for all mankind, for all time. 
crosses over the Brook Kidron, and he heads to a garden, a garden named Gethsemane. Now, in this garden, he aims to pray. It's the night he's going to be arrested, as you heard. He aims to pray, and he aims for those who are with him to pray with him, though they are sleepy, reluctant, uninspired, or for whatever reason not participating on a level that is certainly needed by Jesus himself. And Jesus is now wrestling with this idea of willingly drinking the cup of suffering, and I mean suffering. He's going to become one with the sin of the world. There's no greater suffering for anyone, particularly one who is without sin, who is holy, without sin or blemish. He's at the place of the press. That's what it means. If you were to take a heavy stone and run it over the olives that come out of this garden, these olive trees, olive trees that even to this day are 2,000 years old, were likely planted about the time that Jesus was in this very garden himself. If you were to run a heavy stone over these olives, the first the first uh, batch of olive oil that came out of those would be called pure virgin olive oil. You buy it at the store today. There are other secondary batches of oil, but this is the first one. And what happens is this weight of the sin of the world is now pressing down on the Lamb of God, and he begins to bleed from the forehead. He's, the, the, he's drinking the cup of suffering and willingly say, nevertheless, thy will be done. And as he's doing that, the oil, the spirit of uh, the spirit of God, the blood of Christ coming from his forehead. And you see this idea of any time there's heavy pressure. Now listen, if you're if you're sick, you're not feeling well, you've got a bad diagnosis, there's a heavy weight upon you. The heavier that weight, by our own choice and through prayer, that weight can produce an oil, an oil of the spirit as it did Jesus, your representative. Finally, after a season of prayer, here they come. The guards, the weapons, the torches, the lanterns, the swords. Like bounty hunters, they come looking for him. Their, their perception is off. They're, they're not thinking right. I don't blame them. They don't have a context in which to to rely upon, to understand what they're about to do. But they're, they're moving into a garden at night full of olive trees, thinking that like a bounty hunter, they're going to have to seemingly search the caves and look for this fugitive from justice, that somehow they have this idea that Jesus is somehow going to hide from them and maybe try to avoid arrest when quite the contrary. He presents himself. Here's the thing about lambs. They're the only animal that present themselves for slaughter. He presents himself. They don't have to go looking for him. They don't need extensive light throughout the night to find him. He is the light, and he stands and he meets them where they are. There, there's a lesson to be learned there. Those of you who are searching for Christ, you don't have to go 99 in hopes he comes one step towards you. He comes the 99. You go but one step towards him. He's not hiding from you. He wishes to present himself. To you, so they intercept him. Their plans of looking for him like a like a dog are over, and they want to arrest him. Listen, if you need healing in your relationships, in your body, in your mind, if you need spiritual healing, listen to me. Ask that God would arrest you 
with a passion for him, for a, with a longing for him? Do you not need to be arrested yourself uh, that you may develop, uh, that you may hunger for him? Arrest the very things, Lord, in our life that even make us sick, cause us sickness, cause us anxiety and fear and trepidation. Maybe we are in need of being arrested by your glory more so than we are our problems. Our problems at times seem bigger than you, Lord. Why don't we worship you and magnify you that you're bigger than our problems? This place in which they look for him is called, in this passage, a familiar place. They went there often. I mean, they knew the place. They hung out there. They talked there. They planned there. They probably laughed there. They joked there. It's a familiar place, but something new is happening this particular night. And I want to encourage those of you who need healing. That church sanctuary of yours might be a familiar place. That leather chair where you read your Bible might be a, a familiar place. You may, it may be so familiar that you expect nothing out of the ordinary when you go there. That's just not right. Who are you to predict what will happen? in the most familiar places in your life. For on this night, something extraordinary happened. Why not the next time you walk into the sanctuary of your church? Maybe it's not just a sanctuary. Maybe perhaps, my friend, you need to take sanctuary and rest there and ask God to do something unfamiliar in a very familiar place. And they ask him. He says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. They ask him again. He says, I am he. <laughs> why, why is this so important? Nazareth was a place for scoundrels, peasants, uneducated. No one would want to go there, move there, build a home, buy a home. Nazareth was a place to avoid. He doesn't take it as an offense. He doesn't see any reproach in it. He doesn't ask them to call him something else because he's embarrassed or ashamed. He wears it well. He takes it well. Because Jesus came to die for everybody. If you want to you call him names or imply that he's less than, that's fine. He'll identify with those who are called names and made to feel less than. You want to bully Christ? That's okay. That's fine. They'll do it for the entire night. But he can relate to those who are bullied because he was bullied to those who are put down because he was put down, to those who are persecuted because he was persecuted, to those who are falsely accused because he was falsely accused. No, he'll take the Nazareth name because he'll better relate to those who feel alienated and feel like a scoundrel and feel like a peasant and have nothing. Notice what he says, I am he. Well, John does a good job for us, doesn't he? Jesus continually says, he is the I am. Chapter 8, verse 58, before Abraham was born, I am. He told that to the high priest. <laughs> he says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the resurrection. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the living water. The I am meets you where it is you want to intercept him, but you don't have to go far. He's accessible. Notice Judas and men, they fall back. 
They fall on the ground. The very people who are supposed to arrest them are falling on the ground. Can you can you visualize in your mind what it was like, Jesus knowing he needs to be arrested, yet those who come to get him are falling on the ground? Can you see him like gathering them up, saying, come on, guys, get up. I got, you need to arrest me. I've been preparing my whole entire earthly life for this. I need you to arrest me, and you're falling on the ground under the power that I have coming and emanating from me. What a... What a quandary. Must be humorous to watch that. See the cupbearer in Nehemiah who tested the wine for the king was no longer the cupbearer only after he became the burden bearer. Nehemiah had a burden to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem for his people. He was a cupbearer, but when the burden exceeded anything else in his life, he became the burden bearer. Jesus drank of the cup of suffering and would drink it fully, willingly. He, he acknowledged that in the prayer garden at Gethsemane. But now he's the burden bearer. He paid for things, and he never has yet to get them. He paid for your pain. He paid for your sin. He paid for your angst. He prayed for your, for your sickness. He paid for all of these things with his blood. I went to the store not long ago, and I bought something. They put it in a bag, and I got distracted, and I walked out with the larger items only to leave the smaller bag of expensive things there at the cash register. Three days later, I realized that I didn't have what I paid for. I called, explained, and they told me I could come in, and they would take it off the shelf again and give it to me. What do you still have on the shelf that's been restocked that Christ paid for? that you have yet to give him. And because you have yet to give it to him, you may not have received what it is he also paid for, a deeper sense of satisfaction, fullness, mission, purpose, calling, and maybe even reconciliation with another, maybe even healing. The cup bearer, the cup of suffering, has become the burden bearer, and he wants all your burdens. So what do we have here so far? We have a sinless man in a garden who becomes engaged in a battle with Satan's representative. The first man in a garden that came up against Satan failed and failed miserably, and because of it we have death and we have sickness. Now we have a second Adam in a garden dealing with Satan's representative but successfully overcoming death, hell, and the grave and victorious. As soon as they arrest him, they strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. They strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. Peter denies him three times by night's end by the time the rooster crows. The lamb, who is the good shepherd, is arrested, and the men begin to fall apart and scatter. But before he does, Peter takes out his sword, Let's assume he's right-handed for a second. How does a right-handed man cut off the right ear of the high priest's servant? One way. You have to get behind him, and you have to ambush him, and you have to lay raise that sword, and you have to cut off his ear. How cowardly. To come up against the high priest's butler, sneak up behind him and cut off his ear, when he was told not to do so, 
time and time again in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus deals with our lack of boldness, our lack of integrity, our lack of gumption, our lack of passion. When we make enemies of flesh and blood, Jesus rectifies those situations if we allow him, and he will straighten us out as well. He puts the ear back on Malchus. He restores him, and he goes on his way. What does this mean for you and I? There is a brook filled with blood that came from Emmanuel's veins, shed on the cross that you may be healed. And under intense pressure has produced the oil of the Spirit so that Christ became a fugitive, but yet he died for you and I, fugitives from righteousness, that you might be arrested by his glory and his splendor, his wisdom and his love and his mercy and his grace, stopped in your tracks, arrested, and kept from things that will harm you. Because the I am, the bread of life, the resurrection from the dead, the way, the truth, and the life, and the living water, has paid for something for you to have it. He has purchased a gift, and by his stripes you are healed. Would you not take one step that he might take 99, and would you not place your hand on some ailing part of your body or push your hand just as a symbol towards a relationship that's fractured and dying, withered? Would you not just for a moment realize that what you want most he already paid for and you no longer have to try to pay for it? You cannot earn it. You can't earn enough to pay for it, but he has. Now, can you not be a coward? And can you come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in your time of need? Let's pray. I pray that that part of your body, the part on which you have placed your hand symbolically is the hand of Christ. I pray that it be restored, made whole, recreated if necessary, reformed if necessary, rerouted if necessary, cleansed of all things that set itself up against the knowledge of God, that God would heal your body, your bones, your organs, your mind, your heart, your marriage, your relationships, your children, your finances, that he would relieve you of migraines and headaches and depression and nausea and sleeplessness, that he would touch you because he walked in the cool of the day in the garden and came up against the temptation of Satan and overcame sin on your behalf and has purchased for you and by his stripes that which you long for. And I pray that you by faith would receive it even now in the name of Jesus Christ. Be healed by the I am. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Miraculous. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the next infusion of encouragement. Have a great day.